0: I see go acapella now. I'm on the west coast relaxing and chill
2: In the NFL, the torch, like a perfect spiral, is passed from one generation to the next.
3: Got it! Touchdown!
4: It's the same way at NFL Films, where the keepers of football's eternal flame make sure that the spirit of the game burns bright forever.
0: Welcome to the latest edition of the Rich Eisen Podcast. It is post-week two of the 2012 season, another spectacular week. Of the NFL. Another exciting week in the NFL uh, in which 20 teams emerge. 20 teams emerge at 1 and 1. That's an all time record. This league is as wide open as ever. It's as exciting as ever. It's as controversial as ever. It's as dramatic as ever. It's as intense as ever. And it is as popular as ever. And in terms of the sport's popularity, it wouldn't be nearly as popular as it is if it weren't for Steve Sable. And it's with great sadness that we, uh, we pause and reflect and remember the great co-founder and president of NFL Films, who passed away on Tuesday, September 18th, at the age of 69, just a couple weeks shy of his 70th birthday. Steve Sable has passed away, and uh, we're going to dedicate this entire podcast to his memory. And um, our regular podcast will come out later in the week. But uh, we felt it, it's only appropriate to pause and dedicate an entire show to a man without whom this NFL network wouldn't exist and, by extension, this podcast wouldn't exist. None of it would exist. The sport's popularity wouldn't be uh, as great as it is, as I said. It wouldn't be on the Mount Rushmore of American sport, international sport, if it weren't for Steve and his dad and the way they've chronicled and, and uh, portrayed the sport on film. Uh, I still can't believe that Steve Sable is no longer with us. Chris Law, Chris Brockman. Good to have you guys here.
5: Yeah, on Rich. This show. Good to be here. I know. How you doing, Rich. I know one of the I, I grew up in in Pennsylvania and uh and NFL Films originally started in Philadelphia and That's then right. it moved to Mount Laurel, New Jersey and I can definitely say the main reason I'm doing this is from watching NFL Films footage as a kid and growing up and just being like I want to I want to be a part of that and um yeah, just a sad day obviously. To to lose uh, a guy like Steve he was definitely a visionary along with his father so
0: 50 years this coming week of the uh of the NFL season will be the first week without Steve Sable's presence in half a century back in 1962 is when uh his dad got the rights to the uh NFL title game they shot it and Steve was on the field one of the cameramen and then off they went And, uh, his dad went into the pro football hall of fame last year and Steve presented him. And that was essentially the last time I've, uh, Steve's been seen in public. It's the last time I saw him. And it was just, uh, in March of 2011 that it was announced that he had, uh, cancer. And it was uh, just a couple of weeks after his dad was elected into the pro football hall of fame where Steve was at the super bowl. This was in Dallas. And, um, and Steve, I guess, collapsed on a podium at, a, um, at an event in Kansas City. And everybody here was hoping, you know, it was just a momentary uh, issue for him. And we were all shocked to hear that he had cancer. And um, I- I've never met uh, more of a raconteur in my entire life, a walking encyclopedia, a man who was a natural-born storyteller. And you could ask him about anything in the last half century of the NFL, and even before that, and he knew it right off the top of his head, right at his fingertips, and uh, would tell you ten stories, fifteen stories about that. Uh, one story after another would would beget another great story, and um, and you could tell how um, how he became as successful as he did with his dad. They just loved telling stories, and they loved movies, and decided to make movies out of uh, football. We take it for granted now. Yeah. But it was innovative. It was groundbreaking back in the 60s and then what he did with Facenda and then the the music.
5: Oh, those great uh, NFL Films present shows.
0: Sure. He's I mean, the author of uh of The
5: Autumn Wind, too. He wrote He the, wrote uh, The Autumn Wind is a pirate. The Autumn Wind is a pirate, yeah.
0: He went yeah. to Colorado College, played football there with Bill Parcells by the way. Wow. I didn't, I don't know you if know, I knew that. I don't they, think they, I knew that. I knew he went to he did. college. I didn't know he and he's And he's, he's an artist. I have, knew you, that. Have, you, have you been to the uh, Taj Mahal that they've built in Mount Laurel, New Jersey now, right? They it's have a collection there, there. I haven't been. But. Every space in that building has either a photograph of a football player, right, or a scene from, from the NFL. Any non-football-related uh, wall hanging is a piece of Steve Sable's pop art. Yeah. He was a pop artist. Wow! And a couple years ago at the Super Bowl, he had a at a a gallery. I believe it was in Tampa. Maybe Um, he had a gallery. He had a showing of his art. And made like um, a
5: coffee table book out of it. I think. And
0: so it just every fat. He's just one of the more fascinating individuals. And when I wrote my book on Total Access about you know falling in love with the NFL, coming from ESPN, really being a baseball guy my whole life, and falling in love with the NFL and and uh, becoming fortunate enough to be right at the center of the nfl universe going from event to event to event to event for the first nfl uh ne- for the first network that's dedicated the nfl every single day 24 7 365 uh, uh there was one guy I wanted to write the forward and i called up steve sable and he said no problem and within 72 hours there was an incredible forward so uh, he passed away um at the age of 69 on tuesday and um i I went on the air on the network and um anchored the coverage and one after another as you might imagine uh, we got uh some nfl luminaries on the phone we figured we'd replay some of that for you and maybe some of the interviews that uh sables conducted in the past on nfl network yeah so um let's get right to that steve sable may he rest in peace Uh, michael lombardi who uh joins us on the phone right now. You've known Steve forever and a day, and you also spend most of your time uh, working for this network at NFL Films. Is there any way you could put into words how Steve's co-workers and f- extended family members feel today upon hearing this news?
6: You know, Rich, when you walk around the NFL Films library and you were in the working, I call it a working museum because each picture on the wall has a Steve Stable symbolic memory to it and he put each picture there and every day you're reminded of his genius, his talent, his unbelievable passion for football. I would love passing him in the halls and we would stop and have a five-minute conversation about the history of the league, comparing an old player to a new player. I mean he was just an amazing mind in terms of football and a creative genius and every day when I walk into that office I take a picture, I try to post it on Twitter because they're unique. They're situated in a, in a setting that he wanted them to be situated in. And it's a huge loss for all of us here in the NFL family because he was truly a, a part of the creative process that made this league so great.
0: And we're seeing footage on the air right now throughout the years, Michael, you know, seeing uh, Steve behind the camera. But so many of these pictures that we're seeing right now have uh, Steve having a smile on his face. You know I mean it's just his his personality was infectious it it was more than just what he did it was how he did it as as well um and 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 I'd love for you to to speak to that if you don't mind
6: uh, Oh no he was I mean he really was a very funny man you know you would come down to tapings, whether it was inside the NFL, whether it was doing a show for NFL Network, regardless of what it was, he was always in the dressing room, he was always there to liven things up, and he always had a good story to tell. I mean, there's not a time that I talk to Bill Parcells on the telephone where Parcells doesn't ask me about... Steve Sable and his funny personality or they reminisce about the times when Bill was at Hastings College and Steve was in Colorado College School of the Mines and he would talk about those days and you would laugh genuinely and his memory was, and his recall and his unbelievable personality was always a part of the room and you could feel it every day you can still, even though Steve hasn't been to work in a while, at films, his personality's there, his presence there, and that will never go away. That that will never go away. He's laid the foundation for what NFL films is and will always
0: be. And uh, you mentioned Parcells. Uh, it wasn't just the schools that they they went to; is they, they played football against one another, correct? They yeah, they competed absolutely. on a gridiron. Parcells the versus, versus. They
6: would talk about him, and right. Bill was genuinely concerned about Steve as Steve has trying to fight this battle with cancer the last 18 months and as we all were I mean the building has not been the same in fact I had to do a feature uh, on on a show uh, a few weeks ago we did it from Steve's office and Steve's office was in itself a great explanation of who the man was it was unique it had it was filled with personality it was completely different than any office in the building but yet it had his memories in it, and it was just great to be in there and feel his presence once again
0: and that was part of the cruel aspect of 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 his uh, brain cancer is that after he had his seizure I mean words did not come easily to this man and that's not the Steve Sable that all of us basically fell in love with you know I mean he was he, he, one of the best storytellers in person that I have ever met. Just the way he tells a story and how one story always begat another story and another story. Uh, a walking encyclopedia for not just yeah. sports, but pop culture as well. Films. You could just talk films with him that had nothing to do with sports. And And
6: Rich, that's the beauty of NFL films. I mean, you come down there, there's Japanese movie prints. That's right. There's the Patton movie prints. There's movie prints all over the building because that's what he loved. In the old building, which I used to love to go to before we moved to this new one, he had a diner because he loved Jersey diners. So the cafeteria was made into a diner, and it was all his personality. (laughs) And he was incredibly talented. I mean, just his transition from being behind the camera to on camera was so smoothless. He could host any show, and you felt very comfortable with them and his questions were so good and they made you think and you better be prepared for anything that he brought I mean he is truly a unique person he will be irreplaceable and I know we all are replaceable in our jobs but whoever takes over for Steve at NFL Films has huge shoes to fill because that mind is unreplaceable and as you said the brain tumor really caused that and that's what really hurt at the end because he couldn't communicate with all the people he truly loved
0: I know and uh, it occurred um, mere days after his father was elected into the Pro Football Hall of Fame at the Packers Steelers Super Bowl in Dallas um and that was one of the final public appearances that Steve ever made um before that happened and it was such a happy day for him and Ed and Blair and the entire Sable family um that was such a big day and 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 then he was there at the Pro Football Hall of Fame last August as well, presenting one of the great, I mean, setting the bar for a presentation video as high as it possibly ever can for any future Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, inductees.
6: That was the talent of Steve. I mean, his talent was he was a wordsmith. He really was. He had ability to craft words and put it into ways we could all understand it and feel humor and feel entertained as well.
0: All right, Michael Lombardi, please um, send our best to everybody that uh, you may see over in Mount Laurel, New Jersey, uh, from all of us here out um, at the uh, NFL Network, uh, where, um, again, we wouldn't exist, let's be honest, if it weren't for NFL Films and for Steve Sable. So please pass along those words. Thank you, Rich. Sterling Sharp, who has spent so many days... Uh, it is a member of uh, the television medium himself at NFL Films. Sterling, you're on the phone right now. Sterling, I'd love to get your thoughts here on this horrible news.
1: It, it, is, it really is, Rich, and uh, we're talking about a guy who loved football more than the players. I mean, he couldn't wait to sit down and talk to all of us who were in the building about what was going on in the NFL and what it was like in the early days, of, like when his dad started uh, NFL Films and it definitely is a sad day. I enjoyed going into his office and visiting with him. I enjoyed him coming out on the set when we were getting started to shoot Playbook. And, he, you know, we, we use the term or the phrase, you know, he will or, or they will be missed an awful lot. It's going to be really hard to replace Steve Sable, and he truly will be missed. by I know all of us who worked in that building, you know, week in and week out during the season, and, and those people who knew him way before I did, he is truly truly going to be missed.
5: And
0: and Sterling, in this business, the transition from the playing field to television analyst, um, so many players uh, attempt it. So many players would like to attempt it. And few have been able to succeed, certainly as as well as you have. But NFL Films has been the spot where so many have had the opportunity, not only on the air and shows that you have been taking part in, but also off the air with the, uh, the, the symposium that the NFL held in conjunction with NFL Films every year. It still does for players to learn the craft. And, and this was also important to Steve. And I'd love for you to speak about how Steve maybe helped guide you in your process going from the field to a, a television analyst.
1: Uh, you know, from broadcast boot camps to the, the, the entities that you just mentioned, Rich, You know, Steve was instrumental in just being able to get players to understand, hey, you played the game, but relay it to those of us who love it, you know, who love our favorite teams and our love, our favorite players. He tried to get them to use the NFL and their experience to relay what was going on and what we were watching each and every Sunday, Monday, or Thursday night. And what I loved about, about his approach was, is he always wanted to make sure you put the game first and make sure you use your personality to bring out your passion for the game, your passion for the play that's been made, or your passion for the players. And That's going to be hard for someone else to come in and try and replicate because he was so good at it. Uh, never, a day, never a bad day around Steve Sable in my life and being in NFL films for nine years. Uh, never a bad day. And the one thing about the building, NFL films, and what he and his dad were able to do, For guys like us who, you know, we're kind of get wrapped up in what we're doing and when we were doing it, you know, and and having played from 1988 to, to 1994, the history of our game is in that building. I mean, every Thursday through Sunday I walk through that building and I see guys on the wall and I see video of players who played in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and it is such a pleasure to be around that kind of history because it gives you a better appreciation for what I'm doing on TV, gives me a better appreciation for what the players of today's game are trying to get done. And, Rich, it's just going to be hard for someone else to come in and try and replicate what Steve and Ed Sable uh, were able to build. I'm, I'm telling you, it's going to be a very difficult process.
0: One of my favorite memories, Sterling, we were on the air, oh, gosh, just a couple of months, just a couple of months, And uh, this is early 2004. We went on the air here at a network in November of 2003. And uh, I was walking from one side of this uh, complex to another here uh, in Los Angeles. And I'm walking out one of the office doors and in comes Ed Sable, unannounced, just strolling through the office door saying, I'd love to see the place. Is there anyone who would show me around? (laughs) And and, and as I found out uh, being part of this organization week after week, month after month, he was only doing what so many people in the NFL still do and always did at the NFL Films building, which is drop in like it's just their home. And, and the Sables welcomed anybody from the NFL. Just come on in. You want to watch film, watch film. Come on in. You want to talk ball, let's talk ball. It, it, it's truly uh, indicative of what the Sables as a family and as a business operation is all about, you know. Anybody you just mentioned people just dropping in. Anybody could just drop in at NFL films at any time.
1: You're exactly right and you know the the thing is is, is two things I, I can remember right quickly is when you go in the NFL films and you are around Steve Sable for many a long time, you find out that the NFL is not a job, it's not this big power broker. It's a celebration of sport, it's a celebration of athletes, it's a celebration of accomplishment and achievement and I mean, if you look at all the Emmys on the wall, you look at all the pictures, you look at the history of our game. It is a celebration of what the National Football League is all about. And I, I got a chance to spend some time with with Steve and Ed. I was sitting next to Steve, as a matter of fact, at the jacket ceremony uh, right. for his dad, where my brother went into the Hall of Fame. Same and year. Being you able guys to want to look at his face and being able to talk with him about, you know, how proud of a moment it was for his dad and what his dad went to went through to get that. That, you know NFL film started and all that, that the history and the stories that he and, and Ed were sharing it, it was truly a pleasure. and I, I never thought that a moment like that I'm there and trying to celebrate and enjoy an accomplishment that my brother was going through. but I got a chance to be a part of what the Sables were going through and it just makes working in NFL films, going in that building each and every week it makes it a little more special.
0: Sterling, thanks for the thoughts.
1: Hey Rich, anytime man he's truly going to be missed.
0: Thank you for uh, coming on and uh, giving your thoughts at Sterling Sharp, spending so many days after his stellar playing career in Green Bay and the uh, NFL Films offices. Steve Mariucci joins us on the phone right now. Uh, Steve, as a coach in the NFL for as long as uh, you were, you no doubt had so much contact with Steve wearing wires and Contact with NFL Films about its presentation of you and your teams. What was it like dealing with Steve in that regard?
7: Good morning, Rich. Good morning. You know, I, I think I'm I could speak for a lot of coaches, and we all sort of went through the same thing with Steve, and and uh, it took it took some time, a short period of time before you could really understand what steve was all about and i'll never forget the first time rich that i got asked by steve to be wired as the head coach of the 49ers and i i was very reluctant to do that i i i hadn't been wired before and and, uh and i said well geez okay i'll do it but i don't want the team to to know that i'm wired I, i let's keep this secret and he says we got you covered and and uh you know, so uh, I was wired up before the game in a private room. Uh, the cameras were never close to me; they were on the other side of the field. and And he said, "Just," he said, "Steve, just be yourself. Just don't even think about us. Coach the game, and then, uh, and then uh, we'll we'll take the wires off when when it's all over with." And I said, "Okay." And then there was, you know, how emotions fly, and during the game, and I probably did some things or said some things that I didn't want aired. And Rich, I remember calling him the next day and I said, Hey, Steve, you got to do me a favor. I think I might have cursed or something like that on the sideline. Can you not air that, please? He said, Coach, just remember, we are not here to make you look bad. You're going to have to trust us. And we're here to promote you, to promote your team, to to promote the National Football League and you can trust that we will always always uh be on your side and make you look as good as possible and we'll have some fun with this and and um uh, you know it, it started off that way where you you had to trust him and trust the NFL films in doing what they do best and and it and it forged a relationship that we had where I never had to worry about, you know, once I miked, hey, you know, you're going to do some silly things on the sidelines or say things before or even after a game in the locker room, and he'll never air the wrong thing or he'll never, never make you look bad and you know, he became like a brother that way. You trusted him so much, and every coach trusts him in NFL films. And I think that's a general statement around the league. Players and coaches just trusted that they would always do the right thing and make you look good.
0: Well, I mean, Bill Belichick wore a wire for an entire season in 2010. And yeah, that and just, he that wouldn't just, do that with just anybody. Exactly. I mean, that just speaks to the level of trust that Steve Sable has achieved or, or, or did achieve or did earn.
7: He earned it, yeah. You you, you know you coaches. gain respect and you you earn trust and over time and and I, I've never heard a coach or, or or anybody say, "Hey, God, I wish they wouldn't have aired that." You know what I mean? Uh, I've seen it for myself with other networks where where I had a real problem with some of the things that they might have aired. Never once NFL films would pose that problem. Let me let me tell you another story, please.
0: Rich. Please.
7: Steve came to my home in in uh, the Bay Area, um, and he did a feature on me and my family, and, and I had a mic not only in games, but it, we did an interview in my backyard and with the kids and at my son's baseball game and, you know, different things, and and um, he was filming us eating dinner as a family. Hmm. We were eating spaghetti, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden my daughter, who's now a senior in high school, okay, she was two years old at the time, <laughs> and she said, I just farted, <laughs> and, and my kids went, Whoa. I just farted, and it, and we all started laughing in our spaghetti, and just you know, and hoping to God that they would edit that. And 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 he filmed for a couple of days, and then he called me back. He said, he said, Coach Mooch, I got a question for you. He says, I want your permission. He says, this is all on you. He says, if you don't want us to air it, we won't. If you want us to air it, I, I. I It'll be great for the feature. Your daughter's comment at the dinner table is a classic. Will you give us permission to do it? And if you have a problem with it, we won't. And I thought about it long and hard, and I said, Ah, what the heck? If I'm I'm taking your advice, if you think it's good for the feature, let her rip, and I'll deal with my daughter later on when she grows up. I hope you. And I'll be darned if they didn't use it, and the the feature didn't win an Emmy for him called right. father figures it was it was it's incredible I,
0: I still cry when I watch it I bet I bet I bet I, I, I assume you didn't use the word letter rip when you, uh, when you told Sable. <laughs> you know I mean because oh, in, in, in that respect, know, it, respect he though he I had mean that
7: rapport sure with uh, with the rest of the league whether you're coaches or players or administrators that we just flat trusted him in in uh, making it better for all of us and and he he was passed the baton from his dad from Ed, who's a Hall of Famer, and Steve will be a Hall of Famer. Um, I trust that uh, he just. But I think celebrated everything that we've done.
0: What you're what you're touching on, Steve, is something that I, I'm, I'm glad we're we're bringing up. Though is the fact that sure NFL films with the Sables have lionized uh, players and, and and put them on a pedestal as heroes, and all of us who are fans of the NFL look up to all these players and, and call them heroes. And, and many of them uh, do heroic things on the football field. But they're also human beings, yeah. people. And, and, and Steve wanted to make sure that the human element to humanize everybody in the game is just as important. And, and that's why he probably said to you, we got to use this line from, from Brielle. You know, I yeah. mean, probably that's a, that, that's probably what his 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 mindset was, right? Yeah,
7: there. he could see things that we couldn't, and and uh, you know, he he knew what the fans want to see, and something that is off the field, you know, from from the uh, the cold games in Lambeau Field to the sideline to the great replays, and and that's that's all well and good. We we love that, but there's so much more to football. There's so much more to the to the moving parts, to the people and their lives, and to a point where he had a mic on now Ray Lewis for for the year and That's Bill right. Belichick for the year. It went from begging Vince Lombardi to put a mic on or Hank Schramm back in the day, where the early Super Bowls where it hadn't been done before, for guys now wearing a mic for the entire year, and it's and the only people that would do that are. Are are people that say I trust that you will do the right thing and and air the right things to make this not only interesting, but uh, you know where I where hey it promotes our, my family and the, the game of football and uh, everything about us and so we owe so much to the Sable family and his legacy will live on forever.
0: Yeah, he even got George Allen to wear a wire. Remember that? That's one of, uh, that's one of Steve's favorite stories that he would tell. And, and you've seen it, too, is that he even got the, the hyper-superstitious George Allen to wear a wire. And when the team was having... Off, though, that's, the that's right, pro- he had a poor he? first half. There's NFL Films footage of him running into the RFK dugout to go run in and take the wire off because he thought that's what was jinxing them. I mean, yes. this is... Yes. <laughs> yes.
7: I mean, so, back then, you know, 40 years ago, right. you're talking about there was there was not enough track record for these coaches to say, hey, th- th- you know, everything's going to be all right. Um, you know, now after, after year in and year out of watching their work, you know, it's easy for a new coach for a... Uh, Joe Philbin to be, hey, you want to be wired? Hey, I'd love to be wired because I know you're going to make this come out all right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and but back then, boy, they were just having to say, hey, I trust you, Ed Sable. I trust you, young Steve. And uh, we'll, we'll find out if this is worth doing again.
0: Steve, thanks. Appreciate the thoughts. Thanks, Rich. We'll and and my Charlotte.
7: condolences to the
0: Sable family. Want to pause for a moment from our NFL Network coverage on the day that Steve Sable passed. The first time I ever met Steve Sable. And interviewed him was at the um, Emmy Awards in New York City in 2003 when Steve and his father Ed were honored by the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences for quote-unquote revolutionizing the way America watches football and setting the standard in sports filmmaking it was a lifetime achievement award for Sable uh, who uh, for the Sables who are used to receiving Emmys over a hundred combined for them, but in terms of Steve, he received thirty-five of the one hundred Emmys just by himself uh, for writing, cinematography, editing, directing, and producing. Nobody else in the history of television, the history of the medium, has earned as many Emmys in as many different categories than Steve Sable. And that's one of those records that will not be broken. Uh, Sable was a guest on this podcast a couple times, right? Chris Law, we had him on a I couple times. We had times. him on twice, yeah. Right. And the last time was the week before we all headed to Dallas yep. for that Packers-Steelers Super Bowl. And Steve was on pins and needles because his dad was up as a finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And everybody was feeling it for Ed. Everybody w- everybody was pulling for him. But it was the first time where really everybody thought, this is going to happen.
5: Yeah, I think there were 23 cameramen wearing the high red socks. That's right. In honor of his dad.
0: That's right. And, um... At any rate, Steve, we, 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 uh, we got him on the phone. It was nice of him to take time. you know. It's, it's no small feat, by the way, NFL Films covering a Super Bowl. <laughs> I mean, it is a, a major, major undertaking. And uh, he took time out to get on the horn and, uh, and chat about the week that was to come and, of course, about the history of the game. Here it is. I've been wanting to have him on all year long, and I, I held off to the Super Bowl and what a, what a perfect super bowl uh to have uh, this man lend perspective on with the uh, the team that's touched the lombardi trophy the most against the team whose legendary coach uh led to the trophy being named after him and uh, steve sable joins us on the rich eisen podcast And steve it's an honor to have you on as always
4: rich great to talk to you
0: and a big week for your family potentially too here by the end of this oh. week by the end of this week ed sable could be enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Steve. This is something I'm sure your whole family's on pins and needles now.
4: Oh, it is. Well, it, it's uh, just uh, rich, just to, my dad to be in the 15 finalists. It's a culmination of a really of a long love affair with making movies and the sport of football, and he combined those two loves and he created a a film company, company that celebrated. And documented the NFL, and now you could say the NFL is is celebrating him, and it's uh, it's been a great week for him, a great two weeks for him. Everybody's excited. Uh, you know, if it if it comes to pass, he's in the hall. that would be terrific, but just to get to the final fifteen is is really great.
0: Yeah, it's it's remarkable. Is this the first time he's ever been in the final fifteen? He's
4: been in the final twenty-five a couple times, but uh, this is the first time he's in the in the final fifteen. Oh, it's
0: time. I mean, it's it. I mean, it's really remarkable that uh, what what this has become. Steve, do you ever sit back and and marvel and and, and <laughs> well, lend, even let you know you're you're the king of perspective. Do you have per- well, perspective about your own situation? Yeah, you know,
4: it's in a way. I'm, I just think back to the 1960s when sports television was really a wilderness. I mean, uh, there was no black and white. There was no replay. There was no slow motion. Everything was shot from the press box. And I've always said my dad was sort of like a Davy Crockett. Uh, He was blazing a new trail. And instead of a coonskin cap, he had a closet of plaid sport jackets and uh, – Instead of a Bowie knife, he had a, a sharp wit and a, and a keen eye for quality. <laughs> yes. And uh, and uh, that, that's, to me, I mean, we never had business plans or anything like that. It was just one year. We just look at each other and say, God, can you believe we're getting paid to do this?
0: It's unbelievable. You know, And one of my favorite moments of working here over the last seven years, I think we were just like one year old or I think I've told you the story before, but right. eight, we were 18 months old. I'm walking from the office. We have one office at the time here. I'm walking from the one office to the one set across the way here in our complex in a way. And who's walking in but your dad? <laughs> Ed just walked in off yeah. the streets just to say, "Hey, I want to see what's going on here." And uh-huh. he goes, "Would you?" He said, "Would you mind yeah. if I looked around?" And I'm like, yeah. "Well, we wouldn't exist if it weren't
4: for you." <laughs> well, so yeah, well, let's I'm walk around. Yeah, uh, with my dad, uh, that the, the thing all of us remember. I think his greatest talent was his optimism and his enthusiasm, and also was was encouraging risk. And, and I think you understand this, that to be good in this business, you need you need freedom. But there are two types of freedom, the freedom to to come up with an idea to express yourself and then freedom from from somebody else. saying, hey, well, that's a good idea, but we're going to change that. And that was the thing that, that we had and that my father made sure that, that uh, he maintained that and he put quality before any other consideration and we barely made a profit uh, because of that but we're lucky we had a commissioner who saw in our films a way to create an image for the sport and to promote the game so it was a, it was a great time for a young film company to grow up in that period
0: right and uh, is your dad coming to north texas for no no okay so no. so he'll no. be he'll be staying put waiting for the phone to ring Yeah,
4: he's he's 95 years old, and I have to argue with him to put in his uh, hearing aid. I mean, his wits are uh, sharp, his mind is intact, but... Uh, he just doesn't like to wear a hearing aid, and every time I self-tell that, <laughs> I say, "Damn, will you put that hearing aid in?" I'm tired of repeating myself, and he says, "Ah, you know why? I don't, I don't, I'm not going to put in." He says, "Young people have nothing to say, and old people just repeat themselves. There's no reason for me to hear anything."
0: <laughs> and Let's talk about the Super Bowl matchup now. Uh, Steve, what an incredible matchup from a, from obviously an X's and O's point of view, but from uh, the history of the game, from the, 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 the history books, you just take a look at these two teams, they, they, they pretty much still look the same. Right? I mean they really haven't mm-hmm. changed the uniforms. They they both stand for something that they've stood for for decades at a time. Right. I'd love to get your thoughts on the Steelers and Packers playing in a Well, a you're talking Super about Bowl.
4: not only rich, not only teams, but these are football cultures. And in recent years, I think the Super Bowl has often often felt a little more stylish than traditional. You've had Indianapolis, New Orleans, Arizona, uh but this year there there's no sort of uh, feel-good story like we had with uh, um, New Orleans or a, a bumbling franchise that finally made it, like with Arizona or, or Seattle. These these are the heavyweight programs. These are ones that know the way. You have the Packers that have won more NFL championships than anybody else. The Steelers have won more Super Bowls. They have very passionate fan bases. These aren't the corporate jet, commie, uh, you know johnny Conn late lately types so i think all of the things when you look is it going to be a classic there are, there are things you want to check off franchise quarterbacks check great organizations check nfl history check teams with big national followings check Game is expected to be a close one, check. You got all of these things, plus the Steelers barreling toward a, a seventh Lombardi mm-hmm. trophy. So all of these things, you know, people love storylines and narratives. So this one's got a great narrative for, for this particular Super Bowl.
0: And of all cities for these two teams to play in as well, you know, I, I, a lot of younger uh, football fans uh, may not uh, have this significant strike them because, you know, the the Cowboys... Uh, haven't really won a, they've won one playoff game since mm-hmm. the mid-90s and you know I know Dallas played Pittsburgh in the mid-90s as well in the Super Bowl but of all cities for a terrible towel to be waved around or for the Packers to come in and hoist the Lombardi trophy and it's going to be tough for Cowboy fans who remember from back in the day, wouldn't you say, Steve?
4: Yeah, Oh, I think it'll be tough for, for Cowboy fans for that reason, Rich. But I, I think also, uh, I think we'll get the biggest attendance hmm. in Super Bowl history. I think it was the Pasadena that might have been the Steelers and uh, the Rams in Pasadena that I think had 101,000. It was the biggest crowd. I think uh, we're going to get the biggest crowd ever. Uh, for a Super Bowl, uh, for this one,
0: so it'll be it'll be for for all those fans that remember the Ice Bowl and remember you know the pack the Packers used to deny the Cowboys every year right back in the day
4: uh, yeah uh, yeah well, the '66 championship the the greatest uh, game I've ever seen the Ice Bowl mm-hmm. it was uh, the the, uh, the that '68 drive, or 68-yard drive with the Packers across that frozen field against the doomsday defense, to me is still the signal most most memorable moment of my uh, 49 championship games that I've attended, that still I, I remember the most vividly because to me that particular game epitomized everything that Lombardi stood for, and that to me was still the most the seminal moment in the, in the game's history. And what I remember is that being on the sidelines and my camera froze and I was sitting there mm. freezing my butt off but i was cognizant of the fact that i was watching history i was just thinking this was going to be the third straight championship from the for the packers so uh, right. it was something that i still remember
0: right right what would um, let's because we've been talking about through this podcast even though this is um tech, more than yesterday's news jay cutler what what would george hallis have said if he heard this whole dialogue going on with jay cutler right now in chicago well,
4: you know, it's, it's an interesting thing that's been going on with Jay Cutler because, to me, it's, it's something that's really tied into television coverage because I, I don't think the issue is how, how tough he was or whether he was in pain. It's just the shots that, that people saw of him on the sidelines. He seemed so disinterested, detached. He wasn't there talking to any of his teammates. Twenty years ago nobody would have seen those shots and nobody would have said anything about this. I mean, you take for the he, he wasn't playing, you have to feel the the, the code of honor, the, the NFL code, he was hurt, he didn't play and that would have been the end of it. But the image that people took away with him just sort of sitting there disinterested, detached on the bench, that's the thing that I think's gotten everybody so fired up. It's hard for us to say how much, whether he was in pain or, or anything like that, but you could see he just didn't seem to be part of the team at hmm. that point.
0: How many of your, uh, how many folks do NFL films have shooting a Super Bowl this week? Not as many as you
4: think, Rich. I really? mean, we, we just, yeah, we, we all just have 15. I mean, we, this is the easiest game of the year for us to shoot. It's, is our all pro, it's our all-pro team. I mean, the 50, we, we, normally we just have three guys doing a game. And mm-hmm. that's really what – now we have 15. This is our all-pro team. The only problem here is just going to be getting to the stadium. <laughs> it's just the traffic. That's, a, that's the biggest problem that we have. Filming the games, nothing. That's easy.
0: Right. And what a, how do you get the film out of there and, and, and up and running so quickly on, on television?
4: Well, actually, one of my father's favorite expressions, the one he used to have the, the, our, our meeting before the Super Bowl, he would always end up by saying, remember, guys, we got a flap. FLAP that meant finish like a pro, mm-hmm. and that make make sure all the film is labeled. Maybe a couple cameramen stay around to see if there's anything, any kind of closing shot that we can get on the field. Make sure it's in the boxes and everything, and then it's got to get to the airport. So that that to us, that's one of the biggest things is finishing the game, and then we got to get the film. We have a a little Learjet that leaves right uh, from the airport, a very small airport. That night takes all the film right up here to Mount Laurel, New Jersey, and we start processing that film. There'll be thirty to forty thousand feet of film that uh, they'll, that we'll be processing uh, beginning Monday night.
0: And and how soon will 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 we see NFL films footage from the Super Bowl? Then,
4: well, we'll you'll see it on um, our show on Showtime on mm-hmm. Wednesday. Mm-hmm. There'll be there'll be shots on the NFL Network probably on Tuesday, and then on. Um, Thursday, we do a, a little recap that's on ESPN the, of a half-hour version of the game.
0: It's, it, it, you know, it truly is amazing what, what, what you have and your dad have built. And I did this uh, with you on our first-ever interview at a Super Bowl seven years ago now. Uh, right. NFL Network when we were in Houston, and I'd love to go through this again. For I, I even put it in my book, which, by the way, you wrote the forward for. Just to, <laughs> you were, which I couldn't be more thankful. And I, I, when I look at my book on the shelf forevermore, and it's a <laughs> forward by Steve <laughs> Sable I mean, it's it doesn't get any better than that, yeah. Steve. Well, so thank you. No, I'm, I
4: wanted you know when you uh, I, I want to go back to that interview. Sure. There was an interview that you did with me and my dad. I forget what it was, but you were you we were, were wearing, we were wearing tuxedos. Yep. and my dad. Was wearing his customary red socks, this, I'll and that's one that. of his uh, sartorial idiosyncrasies. Is wearing red socks, so it, to honor him at the Super Bowl all of our cameramen and sound men are all going to be wearing bright red socks at the Super Bowl. I just ordered 150 <laughs> pairs. So, you know, hey, I'll you wear it. To, you give me a pair.
0: You give me a pair. Unfortunately, you know, I'm, I'm I'm covered by a desk, but I'll, I'll, wear, yeah. I'll wear the red socks at the Super Bowl. I
4: will make sure that you get a pair Lock of our... Me it's in. called the world's softest sock, bright red, and that's in honor of my father. Lock and All of our in. cameramen are going to be wearing red socks. Lock me in on that, because okay. I'm also yeah.
0: hosting Saturday night i'm hosting the the uh the the announcement of um of the pro football hall of fame class that's right so if you know in case i'm Uh, knocking on wood right now this all happens i'll bust out the red Sox on the spot
4: Okay, I will make sure we get that to on you. the spot. Great idea. Because right I remember,
0: I remember interview. That interview was right before you got you. You and your dad were honored for the Lifetime Achievement Emmy.
4: Right, that's where it was. A- that's a- in right.
0: New York City, and I'll never right. forget that. That's um, right. But it, I want to go through this with you. I'll have you on the phone right now because we did this uh, at the Super Bowl oh, geez, seven years ago, and I wrote about it in my book. So we'll go through this again because uh, all of us here at the network, we we put in a hopper a question. What do you want to ask Steve Sable when he comes on? It was the first time you were on NFL Network. In an interview setting, and uh, and on the producers, and we all got together, and 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 I fired rapid fire to you. So I'd love to see if uh, if you have any new answers to these questions. Uh, the smartest player you ever met was who?
4: The smartest player, Fran Tarkenton. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: And and still to yeah. this day, no yeah. question. Why? Well, was it, why I mean, was the, the smartest, smartest
4: player uh, with football, or with life, or with I mean, Fran Tarkenton had a whole uh, a whole big picture on not only football but a life his father was a was a minister so he I thought he, you know if it comes to football I would probably I'd say Peyton Manning
0: yeah in terms of just the football exes and those yeah. Peyton Manning mm-hmm. what about coach yeah. what about coaching
4: the smartest coach mm-hmm. Sid Gilman. to me he his his his, his um, strategy his he set up the framework for the modern passing game and uh, maybe, maybe Paul, Paul Brown. I mean, Hallis, to me, was the George Washington of, of, of the NFL. Uh, Paul Brown was the Thomas Jefferson. He <laughs> gave the game a, 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 a structure and a shape. And you could also say he was also the Einstein and the Marconi of the game as well. So maybe Paul Brown would be my answer. Then who, would,
0: who would Vince Lombardi be in that? Well,
4: Lombardi was a motivator more, mm-hmm. than, uh, more than anything else. And I think with Lombardi, he is the patron saint of pro football, and he's one of those rare people who are as good as his legend. And his presence was so strong that it still, it still lives. And whenever and wherever uh, anybody competes, His spirit still summons up the best we have to offer.
0: What would he say? I asked this of Bart Starr at the Super Bowl in Detroit, uh, Super Bowl Forty. What what would Lombardi say if he knew that his name was on the trophy that gets handed out to the champion every year?
4: What the hell's going on out here? (laughs) He would be very. He would be very. Because the trophy is is, um, rich as a symbol of excellence, and everything that he did was pointed toward the pursuit of excellence and the fact that uh this trophy which is the the symbol of excellence has his has it bears his name is I'm, I'm sure he would be very proud of
0: that. Who's the dirtiest player you guys ever caught on camera?
4: Um well Bucko Kilroy was was very dirty. Uh, you know, dirty's a tough I'm trying to think of of someone who was really dirty. but I think of hard hard hitters as well. You know, there was a um Uh, Cliff Harris or the Cowboy. That's a question I, boy, you know, when it it comes to to hitting Dick Butkus. But he wasn't dirty. He was a force of unmanageable proportions. But the the way he tackled anything that was loose, if it was a chin strap, if it was a knee pad or an arm pad, anything that was dangling, Mm -hmm. he'd rip off. And because of that style, I remember asking John Brody, and we were interviewing him, and I said, You know, when, when, how do you know, or how do you prepare yourself when the season starts? And he said, I know that football season is approaching because I have this recurring nightmare. And the nightmare <laughs> is that I'm playing, uh, Dick, you know, in Wrigley Field and I'm playing in the nude and everybody on the opposing team is Dick Butkus. <laughs> and Did, that sort of, you know, capitalized what it was like, you know, the way Butkus would tackle, just anything that was loose he'd rip off.
0: Didn't you tell me Billy Ray Smith put stuff on his hands or something
4: yeah. like that? Yeah. He used to take that um um, um, atomic bomb, right. and he would put it on his fingers. And in the first play of the game, his fingers would go right into the offensive lineman's uh, mask right before the game started. Yeah, that's that. That's, that's probably dirty. <laughs> Who was the
0: first coach you ever mic'd,
4: or your dad Joe, ever mic'd? Joe Q. Herrick, head coach of the Eagles from 1964 to 1968, and he he was the opposite, let's say, of a, of a Bill Belichick. This guy was long-winded, bombastic. But in a very amusing way in that the front half and the back half of his sentences rarely matched up. So you end up with all these weird mixed metaphors like, you know, he he busted through the line like a bat on a hill or or that's a different kennel of fish. I mean, he, he had all these weird uh, malaprops. That uh, if he was alive today, I mean, he would ri- rival Rex Ryan <laughs> as far as press conferences.
0: Right. Who's the uh, Who's the the one person that you at, at NFL Films have had a bleep out the most?
4: Well, Rex Ryan,
0: Is, without question.
4: Yeah. yeah, you know, Marv was that- Levy uh, was, and and that's funny because there's a, a man who had a Harvard degree, Marv Levy. Yeah. Really? You got a bleep out? Of a a William, William and Mary graduate, a degree from Harvard in history. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there were times when, when we had so many bleeps with Marv that you'd think it was like, you know, some heavy equipment backing up the whole time. And you know, it was just <laughs> beep, beep, beep,
0: beep, beep. <laughs> but but he, he used the word over-officious, though. Yeah. I mean, like, so... I
4: know he did, but he also used chicken bleep. and uh, <laughs> Right. And, 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 yeah, I mean, you no, know, Marv was... I just think that it, he was so caught up in the game and so passionate Mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, Mike Tice could be, could be fairly profane. Um, but Rex has surpassed uh, them all. Oh yeah. No Rex is in a separate, but, (laughs) but Rex, it just is so, you know, it's so natural. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, like people talk about the the jets now and they're talking about the hard knocking, goddamn snacking jets, you Mm -hmm. know, it's right.
0: What, what about the, the best venue? What's your favorite place to go? uh
4: that's i'm trying to i I still think Lambeau field i I think it used to be Baltimore Memorial Stadium. I used to love that because of the band the cult band would come out and right before then, da 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 you know that was uh the cult song i i guess Lambo Lambo would be the the because of the memories there and that's when I was a camp spent a lot of time up there as a cameraman Do you got a
0: good howard Cosell story for me? Your favorite Howard story? Oh,
4: boy. Yeah, I'm trying to. There's so many with Howard. Um, I know when we first started um, the halftime highlights, mm-hmm. and Rune Arledge told us that, you know, we we thought we were going to use uh, uh, possibly Facenda, or we thought it was going to be Chris Schenkel. And uh, Rune said, no, well, I want to use Howard Cosell. And the first time we did the, the um uh the the we did a pass through with a like a rehearsal that we always wanted to use music and uh, howard got very upset that uh, there's music behind it we said but all of our highlights have music and he says listen let me tell you something that we have the, the english language is the most precious possession that we have in this country and i know how to use it now get rid of the music and that was the end of the music for that. How'd you find? How Howard, Howard was also mm-hmm. uh, great with the with the interviews when he would do. Uh, you know, he'd be t- talking about himself all the time. Of course, and then he would say, "You know, now uh, enough about me. What do you think of me?" <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> How did you and your dad
0: find Facenda? He was just a local anchor in Philadelphia. Yeah.
4: Well, one of the things we wanted to do when when is to present pro football in a. Um, uh, you know, the way Hollywood presents, uh, or the way um, Hollywood presents fiction with a dramatic flair. And we wanted to use a different type of narrator because we wanted to write less script. The scripts of those old highlights were very clever, but they were written in like a, Milt Plum pegs a peach of a pass to become the apple of Coach George Wilson's eye. Mm -hmm. Well, we didn't want to use, we wanted to have much more nouns and verbs. And I had grown up as dad, you know, and and dad as well, listening to John Facenda. He was the Walter Cronkite of CBS here in Philadelphia, you know, this great oaken voice. And uh, we both felt with this new type of script we wanted to write, he would be the perfect person to read it. But we didn't know whether he wanted to you know that if he was even a football fan, so my dad approached him uh, actually at a at a at a saloon here in philadelphia <laughs> the r d r d a club and and it was just sort of a chance meeting, and my dad, being a great salesman, said, "You know mr presenda we're we're doing this film called "They Call It Pro Football," and we wanted to know if you would be interested in in reading the narration and he said, "Sure." And we, the next, uh, about two weeks later, I'd finished the script, and we went into a recording studio. And I, I to this day, I remember tapping him on a shoulder. That's the way we did the script. And listening to him read the first line, and it was, it starts with a whistle and ends with a gun. Mm. And I looked at my dad, and our eyes met, and we knew right away, <laughs> we're on to something. But yes. the odd thing it was, Rich, is nobody liked him in the beginning. Really? No, the I, Wellington Mara didn't like him. Um, uh, Carol Rosenblum on the Colts, you know, we should use Chuck Thompson. So we had to argue with the owners in the beginning to keep him, and, and they, they said, well, he doesn't know anything about football. And I said, well, he doesn't have to. I'm writing a script, which sort of hurt my feelings. I just, you know, <laughs> weeks writing this script, and they thought he was ad libbing So that was a little bit of a comp. But then Pete Rosell interceded, and he said, look, I think Ed Sable knows what he's doing here. Let's let's keep this guy as a narrator. And then finally everybody got used to him, and Man. and he became the voice of NFL film.
0: And is it true that there's some uh, – uh, in a vault somewhere, um, some outtakes of Facinda yes. cursing up a blue streak? Oh, straight.
4: it's great, yeah. Absolutely. There's a great vault. There's a whole little, um, about two three minutes of Facenda of, of cursing.
5: <laughs>
4: but that, you know that's you know we always said that the if right. the Last Supper right. ever had a final had a after dinner speaker, it would have been Facenda. So it would be very bad to have a, you know have Facenda have cursing. You know? But that but exists somewhere. That. It exists oh somewhere. yes.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, may, I, may, I may have to stop by some yeah. way. But, well, I'll I,
4: deliver that to you with the red sauce. I will take it.
0: I will take it. Hey, Steve, <laughs> thanks again for the time. You're the best. Great. You are the oh. absolute best. And I've always said it, NFL Network would not exist if it oh. weren't for you and your dad. Your dad should be in the Hall of Fame. The man's 95. If not now, when? This is uh, all the best. It should work out.
4: All right. Thanks a lot, Rich.
0: We're now joined by someone who's known Steve Sable for many, many years, and uh, one of the few people in this business whose Emmy Hall can come close to that of Steve Sable. Uh, He is none other than Bob Costas joining us. Bob, thanks so much for joining us on this day, and I'll just uh, open the floor to you on your thoughts on the passing of Steve Sable.
2: You know, I'm sure many people have noted this already, but in addition to all of his accomplishments and his dad, Ed's accomplishments with NFL Films, I think those of us who know him really feel just the personal loss because he was such a good guy. Everybody loved this guy. They loved being in his company. Uh, He was a tremendous storyteller. He had a vibrancy about him. He had a real enjoyment of the life he lived and being around his friends and the work he did and that enthusiasm never waned. So I think we'll miss him as a person. What he and his dad built stands for itself, I think he'd be the first guy to tell you, because he was modest, that it wasn't exactly art, but it sure as hell was high craft. They developed this in such a way that that what they did was something that football fans looked forward to every week. Um, it didn't just document the league, but it mythologized the league, it glorified the league. It was a huge part, especially in the 1960s and the 70s, a huge part of the emergence of the NFL as the most popular sport in America.
0: And just the way that they uh, brought it into, I guess, the pop culture mainstream. I know you and I have had conversations about this before, about what, NF- what, what films uh, or, or NFL on film used to look like or is presented like, and it was mm-hmm. nothing like what uh, this current generation has come to expect out of NFL films. He, he totally revolutionized the way that, that the NFL was, was viewed.
2: Totally revolutionized it. I'm sure that he would say that if you had to pick one, it was kind of a turning point. Uh, the way they documented uh, the ice bowl game between the Packers and, and the Cowboys um, was just perfect with John Facenda's voice because the game did have an epic quality to it. It wasn't an exaggeration. It, it was a game of such high drama. Um, and had a, a certain mythic aspect to it to begin with, and then they just heightened it and captured it, and that was the turning point. And, and from there, things developed. And, of course, as the technology and the sophistication of what they could do with their films um, kept getting better and better, you know, then, then you'd see inside the huddle, you'd see the ball spiraling through the air in high depth. It just kept getting better and better. But the basic idea of how you tell a story and how you dramatize a story, that was always at the heart of it. And one other thing that I think that, that Steve does not get enough credit for, unlike baseball, let's say, which is an everyday sport, and so some of the goofiness of it and the whimsical aspects of it are inevitably there because every game is not a spectacle, and every game doesn't matter as much as every football game. Football can be kind of serious, and of course it's a violent sport, and it has a whole kind of different atmosphere around it, but NFL films always made it a point to find the humor in it, the goofiness in it, the blooper reels, the, the little asides that somebody who was mic'd on the sideline tosses off. And it's just really funny in, in the heat of battle. They, they humanized it by sometimes taking it down from Mount Olympus and just making it funny.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that's definitely Steve and Ed's um, influence right there with, their, with, with who they are. Uh, Or in the case of Steve, unfortunately, who he was um, Mm -hmm. off the air, as you pointed out uh, at the outset of this conversation. And that combined with their body of work led to the access that so many fans crave. Because, as you know, uh, in this business, getting a coach to provide the access uh, is quite a feat. And yet these guys constantly got it. And to me, that's. And one of the ways, one of the more remarkable aspects of, of Steve Sable's career.
7: Yeah,
2: people in the league trusted him. Now, people might interpret that to mean that he would always tell kind of a sanitized story and you'd never see anything that was in any way critical or or cast anyone in a bad light. No, not necessarily. What it meant was that unlike a lot of what's out there now, They weren't looking for just a gotcha moment or something out of context that could embarrass somebody. They understood, even though they had access, what was of legitimate public interest and filmmaking interest, and what was just something that belonged on the cutting room floor, and we're not going to go there. And because the coaches and the players understood that, and because by now it's been around so long that even the, the most veteran coach grew up watching it, they all know the quality of it, the the history of it, the credibility of it, and so they opened the doors for him.
0: Now, When was your first, I guess, interaction with Steve Sable? When did you first cross paths with him, Bob?
2: I think probably in the early 80s um, when I started hosting uh, the football stuff for NBC. And I'm sure I met him before this, but the thing that I really remember was when John Facenda died, we did, as all the networks did, a tribute to... Senda, the voice of God of NFL Films, and Steve was so pleased by what we did at NBC that he sent me a personal, handwritten note, which I under 30, may seem like you know the Dead Sea <laughs> yes. Scrolls. Someone actually wrote a note instead of sending an email or texting right. somebody. But he wrote me uh, a handwritten note of of appreciation for what I had said and what we had done. Um, and that—that's the first thing I really remember.
0: And through NFL films, I believe uh, we've seen on NFL Network, you—you you, you narrated some St. Louis Cardinals seasonal uh, films, didn't you? <laughs> just, just, just one. Just one back in the day.
2: I think, yeah, I think I think the Cardinals—it it, might have been the the strike season, <laughs> and I think they might have gone five and four and and made it to the playoffs. And you know how they would do those team films, which basically are designed not so much to be seen nationally, uh, as to be shown to prospective season ticket holders. Yes. Anything bad, they get out of the way right away. <laughs> so I think because almost everybody made the playoffs in that strike season, they lost their playoff game like forty-two to six or something. Mm-hmm. So at the very beginning, for like ten seconds, it's like, well, after a forty-two to six defeat, the Cardinals could look back on a season of many. <laughs> Surprises and successes. And, and once that had been put aside, you know, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how did you enjoy the play? Once that was put aside, then that we that we concentrated on their five
4: victories.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's that's some quintessential NFL Films presentation, even just uh, for, for the local crowd. Is there is there any comparison to uh, another career in sports and chronicling a sport? I can't. I, I mean, I can't really think of one, Bob. I mean, this is, you know, when they say they broke the mold. I mean, there's Ed, and then there's Steve, right? I mean, there's yeah, uh, I,
2: yeah. I, you know, you you can think of the great broadcasters, but that's a different thing. You can think of the great enduring broadcasters like Vin Scully, still calling baseball, or or Jack Buck through all those years um, in St. Louis, baseball and and football both. You can you can think of that. But, you know, baseball tried to follow up. Uh, they had a very endearing show called This Week in Baseball. Sure. It would run before the game of the week every Saturday. And, and Mel Allen would narrate it. Um, but it was a different thing. Um, and while it was very, very good, it just wasn't as integral to the, to the league as
0: NFL Films is to football. Right. And, and if you think about it, through the films uh, of, of some of the more legendary moments, the catch... In San Francisco, Vin Scully had the television call and Jack Buck mm-hmm. had the radio call of that seminal football moment that NFL Films has captured for years to come. It's just an incredible um, array of legends that, uh, yeah, and that this has brought one, together. One of, the
2: great things, one of the great things they would do is that they would use the radio and television calls of big games. You know, and then you'd realize that through the years, the Cowboys' radio voices were Frank Gleiber, who was a terrific network announcer in the 60s and 70s for CBS, Frank Gleiber, then Vern Lundquist, Mm -hmm. and for many years now Brad Sham. I mean, these are incredibly good broadcasters. And the way that NFL Films would use that, you'd get both the network thing and the local perspective mixed in with their film coverage, which, of course, is different than the videotape of, of the network telecast. It was Even if you'd seen the game from start to finish, you wanted to see NFL films treatment of it because you'd see something you had not seen, Um, no matter how well the network covered it. You'd see stuff from NFL films you had not seen and you had not known.
0: How do you think, last question for you, Bob, in the years that you've chatted with Steve and known him, how do you think he'd most like to be remembered to a future generation that sees these films and wonders about the person behind it?
2: I think I I can't speak for him. There are those closer to him that might be able to answer the question better, but I would guess that Steve would want to be remembered for putting a smile on people's faces and for helping them even better enjoy a sport that they already loved and for contributing something to the history of the game because he documented so many of the big moments so well.
0: Bob, thanks for the time. We'll see you Sunday night from Baltimore on NBC for that big uh week three game, where I'm sure before the Patriots and Ravens start, just like every other place in the NFL this week, they'll have a moment to remember Steve Sable. Yeah, they should. I'm sure they will. Okay, Rich, take care. You bet. That's Bob Costas of NBC Sports. I'd love to get the take of ownership now on the passing of the iconoclast, Steve Sable, and the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, Jerry Jones, kind enough to join us on this sad day. Uh, Mr. Jones, your thoughts on the passing of Steve Sable.
8: Well, uh, a Rich, thanks uh, for including me. I want, I want very much to uh, give my thoughts, my condolences to his father and his family. Uh, I really believe Steve was put on this earth to do this job and uh, be a part of uh, uh, what he contributed to the NFL. I honestly don't know of anyone that loved or understood or appreciated the NFL. Uh, more than uh, Steve did. Uh, He was one of the greatest uh, storytellers of our time, not just in sports, but uh, any part of the American society. Uh, I've often said that uh, they only throw ticker-tape raids for war heroes, astronauts, and uh, people that uh, win games or championship sports figures because they're larger than life. Well, someone has to take these uh, com- uh, these accomplishments, these people, and make them larger than life. Uh, someone had to take the moment and turn it into a legend, and that's what Steve Sable uh, did for the NFL better than anyone. Uh, he could take four seconds of film and create a story that is remembered for a lifetime, and he knew how to amplify the moment, make it bigger than it. Than it really was, and uh, so he's he was a precious asset, his life, his work uh, to uh, football in the NFL because it it does become uh, bigger than life in its presentation. It may not really be that way, but that's the presentation of it. He could combine words, technology, music, snow elements, human emotion, competition, and say something that left an imprint. Uh, Uh, on people. Uh, The other thing he did is he liked to take uh, fans, liked to take people where they normally couldn't go, behind the scenes, in the rock locker room or Uh, You know, in the huddle. Uh, In our case, uh, uh, you know, he liked to come into a draft room and and show some things that go on in a draft room and make it in a way that uh, created even more interest in in the game. And he created uh, those memories for generations of fans. And uh, on a personal basis, he inspired me. Uh, Just the things that I'm talking about here, it inspired me to, if you will, put the biggest digital board right down the middle of the field because uh, (laughs) we wanted to, in a way, share the theater of Steve with our fans. And uh, uh, we wanted uh, uh, the fact that uh, uh, it'd come inside the huddle. Instead of a face that's a foot high, we can put it on the middle of the field right as it's going on and make it 70 feet high. And that's that Steve's style and influence. But uh, he'll be missed, uh, but he'll always be remembered because of his great contributions to what we do every day, and that show all the nuances of our game.
0: Well, the, the phrase keeper of the flame is being used a lot in, in regards to Steve Sable. And uh, you, in many ways, are exactly that with one of the more iconic franchises in sport uh, on the planet in the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, you came in... Um, uh, in the late 80s, after the Cowboys had already established itself as America's team, and now you were the new guardian for that. And I'd love to know what your first meeting with Steve Sable was like.
8: Well, we would meet uh, because, uh, uh, as it would turn out, uh, he he was always lobbying in his own way uh, (laughs) for uh, support of making investment in NFL films, uh, uh, creating uh, production areas there. And so uh, he wanted to have uh, proponents or people that believed in his work and how it was actually uh, really helping uh, the game be better on the field, and so uh, uh, he, he found the right guy. I'm, I'm into that kind of stuff. I like one and one is three for me, <laughs> and uh, so uh, he would he would show what he could do if he had these facilities, whether it be in New Jersey or or where, and what we could do and how we could help tell the story of the game, and and uh, so he he knew he had a. An, a, a some a good listener. He and he also knew that uh, if I got sold on it, and it's easier to sell a salesman than anybody. Mm-hmm. And he found he knew there was one here in me, and so I just was such a. Uh, he could fire me up. Uh, I believed in so much. When we would begin our meetings, we would have some of the greatest presentation of action-packed uh, game footage uh, for uh, the the owners to see, uh, just to get you ready to go, to help you understand that day what you were in there working for. So uh, uh, I, I met him right off the bat. He looked me up right off the bat, and I, uh, uh, like I said though. Uh, it, it rubbed off the other way. Uh, I not only was so willing to listen to his ideas and try to help him affect them, but uh, it sold me in doing uh, some of the decisions I made, in, like in building my stadium.
0: And um, eventually, um, of all the uh, creations of of Steve and Ed throughout the years of NFL films, follies, and then you, you mentioned uh, the, the, the films that they would put out, not only – in public, but in, in private, how they would show uh, uh, a retrospective of the previous season. Uh, the commissioner would always show that uh, in the owner's meeting room before his State of the State address to, to, the, to the membership of the NFL. Uh, on top of all of that, then comes Hard Knocks, which is one of the more popular sports programs of all time on HBO. Uh, uh, and one year, the Dallas Cowboys took part in that. Did he have to sell you too much uh, in order to get the Cowboys to jump in on that?
8: Not at all. I stood in line to get to be a part of that, <laughs> if, if you will. Uh, right. But uh, uh, he he had such an, uh, a genuine, uh, positive, enthusiastic approach uh, to his projects. And, of course, Hard Knocks did go behind the scenes and shows uh, uh, that, that our game has... Hard knocks. It has. It's. It's getting up, not going down. Everybody goes down all the time, and it's getting up. And he could, he could tell that story, and he could uh, show that better than anyone. But it were those kinds of attempts uh, that uh, would give you individually. He was inspiring, and his work was inspiring because uh, he could uh, project it and put it put it on film and you could see it, Uh, but it was inspiring because it made what you were doing seem even uh, more important. And uh, so in that way, he was a great inspiration to the NFL. And I think it impacted not only our fans' appreciation, which ultimately impacts our network partners. I I, I think you can give Steve Sable a lot of credit. For how uh, uh, how positive and how much demand there is uh, because of the way it's shown, and he always had his input. But uh, uh, you know the the the, the presentation uh, of a a, a play uh, that has a lot of different perspectives. And uh, so we—I can't tell you the times I sat down with him on uh, what we do at our stadium and our screen there—and said, "Give me your thoughts here. What can we do here to <laughs> uh, make this something that uh, fans in the stadium can't see at home?" Well, boy, you're talking about uh, when he spoke. Listening, I listened.
0: Right, and and just think about it. I mean, the man's interviewed um, Tom Landry and Jason Garrett. You know, I mean, he's just he. he past, present, um, what, what, he, he, what he has stood for, uh, it, there's just no way you can replace it. Right, Jerry? I mean, well, no had, there's no chance. He had, of course, way.
8: a great, a great uh, road map, and, and, and uh, he stood on his father's shoulders. Uh, there's no question about it. Uh, many of us are here today where we are that way. I'm that way. I stood on my dad's shoulders. And, uh, his, his dad was inspirational, but, but I'm sure he would be the first to tell you that that enthusiasm and appreciation, he, he just was so much, uh, I'm gonna use the word in my mind. This was my perception. He worshiped his dad. And, uh, boy, when, when you start out like that, but he influenced his dad. And so in that way, that's what you see. That's how Steve got here, a combination of being a part of the growth, the growth of this type of uh, viewing of sport, of of viewing the NFL. Uh, And he used where his dad came from, some of the groundbreaking things there, and became what he was. And so in that way, it's our dream is to be an extension of our fathers, and our fathers dreamed that for our sons.
0: Jerry Jones, thanks so much for joining us on this day. Uh, there's just It just feels in many ways, obviously, a, a, a day of mourning, but also a day of celebration in that regard. Um, and I appreciate you giving your thoughts on that.
8: As it should be. And, boy, did he live it to the fullest. And uh, uh, I'm sorry it got uh, used up on him, uh, but it did. But, boy, he left a wonderful legacy.
0: Jerry Jones, thanks so much for calling. Thank me. you, Rich. You bet. That is Jerry Jones, the owner, president, general manager of the organization that the Sables nicknamed America's Team. Joining us now from League Headquarters in New York City, the longtime general manager of the Kansas City Chiefs and an even longer dear friend of Steve Sables, Carl Peterson joining us now. Uh Carl, uh your thoughts on the passing of your friend Steve Sable.
3: Well, there are too many of them to articulate, but uh what a very special talented human being. Longtime dear dear friend obviously going back to the Philadelphia Eagles and when I was a young assistant coach, and he was a cameraman. But uh, we've had such great times over the years, and he has done, obviously with his father, but Steve has done so much for the National Football League and for our great game of professional football, and uh, I'm going to miss him every day. Is that where you met him, on the field of play? Absolutely. Uh, Preseason Eagles game. I'm a young assistant coach. I went out to check out the stadium and got run over by a guy with a camera. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. We had we had some words uh, at each other, and then became the closest of friends. And uh, for the next thirty plus years, uh, I considered him maybe my best friend. He um, was in my second wedding. We were bachelors together. We were married together. We traveled together, uh, and he. Uh, he was always just uh, so unique. Uh, I always referred to him as the Steven Spielberg of the National Football League. <laughs> and I'm sure he loved that because um, he,
0: he was a, a, as much a fan of movies, I think, as he was of football. I mean, he was a filmmaker, and it just so happened he just had to make, he happened to make films about football, Carl.
3: I know it, and I, uh, one of our golfing excursions in the summer, we went back to Colorado College Colorado Springs, and uh, this was the home of Steve Sable, sudden death Sable, six years playing football, which was probably a little illegal, and also watching movies, and that's when his dad called him and said, uh, Steve, based on what you've been doing, I think you're perfectly uh, uh, the guy that I need here at NFL Films, and he uh, came, and of course, his contributions are legendary. And his personality would show up in his work, too, Carl, wouldn't you say? Oh, oh, every minute of every day. Um, truly a unique guy. I, I would share with you one wonderful thought that I'll always remember. When I took the job as the president, GM of the Kansas City Chiefs in 1989, he called me to congratulate me, and he said, now you must do me a favor. Uh, this is my best friend. I said, what, what do you need? <laughs> sure. He said, uh, as you know, we love to do the tight focus on the football spiraling from the quarterback's hand to the receiver. And he said, at Arrowhead, which had had a lot of tough years, 16 previous years of losing, we can't go higher than the second deck because it's always empty. He said, would you fill the stadium for me? (laughs) And I would say that I'd like to think that not just me, but a great number of wonderful people with the Chiefs we're able to do that for Steve Sable and NFL Films. Mission and, uh, accomplished. I'll always remember that. Yeah,
0: mission accomplished, Carl. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, on a day like today, what do you think Steve would like us to talk about?
3: Oh, I think uh, NFL Films. That was his first uh, love without question. Uh, next to Penny, his beautiful, lovely wife uh, that, that we've known for so many years, my wife and Lori, and we've traveled together in that. But, uh, that was his, uh, his, his whole being. Uh, you know, his sister told me today uh, Steve lived his destiny. He lived what he wanted to do, uh, make movies and make movies about football and make them more special than anybody else. And uh, without question, if you go to NFL films and you've been there, Rich, you know it. Uh, Steve Sable is NFL films. You walk in the door and everything there is about Steve and of course, his father preceding him. And maybe that's what the uh, biggest tragedy this is, is that his father, Big Ed, at 95, has outlived his son.
0: Yeah, uh, parents are not, we're not, we're not supposed to do that. Um, no. no, And um, so you spoke, you spoke to his family today, Carl?
3: Well, I spoke with Penny, yes, his lovely wife. And and she, of course, had, uh, she called me when, when the, uh, the event happened, and I visited him a week ago, and, and I knew, as Steve would say, it's the fourth quarter, the clock's ticking down to zero zero. but um, Lord, what he, uh, what he contributed to our great game, and I know that uh, for his parents, this is a very, very tough time.
0: What was he like battling uh, cancer? How did he, how did he view <clears throat> this, this last 18-month battle,
5: Carl?
3: Well, he was very realistic, as Steve always was. And uh, I think he uh, took the time to get his house in order. Uh, he, he knew what what the outcome would ultimately be. Uh, he battled very hard, very courageous, a number of different procedures to try to beat this. And, uh, you know, he, uh, he was marvelous. Uh, when this happened, unfortunately, uh, 18 months ago, it happened in Kansas City, Missouri. And he was there to receive uh, the Lamar Hunt Award at the 101 Banquet, and it just uh, didn't happen. Uh, but he, um, he did it graciously with great class, as he would, and great humor. And, uh, and I'll always love him for that special guy. What was he like as a traveling companion?
0: What was it like being on the road with Steve Sable? Oh. Carl, what was that like?
3: Oh, it was a minute-to-minute uh, experience, and, and a great one. Of course, he always had a camera or two with him. Did he? <laughs> uh, yeah, I oh, guess absolutely. You, left, you left the picture-taking and the, and the, uh,
0: the film-taking to him, obviously, right?
3: Absolutely. And uh, he would say, Carl, it takes 100 pictures to get one good one. <laughs> and he would take 300. But uh, we, had, we had great times. Um, great person with people. Obviously, uh, every place we went, people knew him. And he would always kid them and say, well, you must have been sleeping uh, or insomniac because you saw me by the nightlight because NFL films didn't come on till midnight. (laughs) But uh, gracious, humble, tremendously talented, uh, an artist, but a a guy that uh, understood, played our game, loved it. And uh, I think depicted it about as well as anybody possibly could.
0: What, what do you think he would say his, his proudest achievement within NFL films
3: was, Carl? Well, I think, number one, the, the people that he worked with and that he uh, was so proud of that went on to do great and, and, and bigger and even better things, you know, whether they were uh, the, the newsreel people or the uh, directors, producers. Um, I know one thing he was proud of. It was a great family atmosphere there. And he, I think he told me there were... Ninety-eight marriages while he was there, and only three—only three, <laughs> three divorces—people that met at uh, NFL Films. And you've been there; it's such a great sure. environment. It's so unique. Uh, it's the envy of a- every professional sports league in our country and out of our country. And uh, I don't think anybody can ever duplicate what uh, Steve did.
0: Well, we we know here, Carl, at NFL Network, we, we don't exist if it's not for NFL Films. I mean, we, <laughs> we, we we don't we don't. We don't exist. The curtain doesn't come up here um, in November of 2003. It really is just that simple. Uh, There's there's no question about it.
3: Well, you're right. And uh, all of the productions and and programs that they have done and he's done and been so involved with. And I know he was uh, excited about NFL Network and and the use of their vast library, but but also uh, the new things that, that you and he and Steve Bornstein have uh put out there for our, our people that love our great game, uh, the National Football League. And uh let's be honest, he's gonna be sorely, sorely missed.
0: And you could just see it on on social media today, Carl, um, that Steve Sable was was tr- trending on Twitter and 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 you know, it's just interesting how it's just a new medium, right? Uh social media, relatively new medium and, and, yeah. and it was paying it's respects to, to Steve. And, and the reason why I bring it up is this, is when we were on the air moments after the news broke uh, and, and we would just be getting tweets and texts and emails, all of us who work here, it was almost as if fans were placing a wreath on some sort of public gathering for Steve because it, it meant so much to everybody's love of the game and when we were kids because it has been around for quite some time when we were younger yeah. and how he he was such an integral part of everybody becoming a fan of the NFL, not just staying one, but maybe in many ways just becoming
3: one as well. I, I think you're so right. You know, all of the innovations they did and, and tonight and, and going forward, when people watch that tight spiral, that slow motion, that music, that poetry to, to our game, uh, they have to say, thanks, Steve, for what, what you did and how you made this game so special. Uh, again, someone that uh, will sorely be missed. I will miss him personally uh, every day. But uh, thank goodness uh, he came our way. And
0: we really appreciate you taking the time out of your day, Carl. Obviously, this is a very difficult day for you.
3: We really appreciate you taking the time to share your thoughts. Hey, listen, for, for this guy... I'd go anywhere and do anything. He was special. And thank you, Rich, and and NFL Network. Uh, You guys have been super. And he has, uh, I think, like I said, made uh, a statement for all uh, the future of the NFL fans. Thanks, Carl. We appreciate it. Again, Steve Sable, the the
0: iconoclast, the luminary of the National Football League and its film-making unit with his dad. His dad outlives him. His father was in the Pro Football Hall of Fame one day. Steve Sable will posthumously make it. Uh, It's sort of mind-blowing he didn't make it already. But at any rate, um, he is dead at the age of 69. And I hope you you say a prayer for him and his family tonight. And uh, remember him this weekend. And just know that when you watch all of the NFL films coverage of this weekend's games just know it'll be the first time it's ever been done without steve sable and his guiding hand and and guiding light
5: i think too um one, one thing with nfl films is they would slow everything down they weren't afraid like nowadays with television and with sports everything has to be so quick no one has an attention span and it's kind of what's great about this podcast form too is you know normally when you do an interview with someone on on network it's a three minute and you're done. You don't get to learn anything Mm -hmm. about the people, but kind of what he did was a storytelling. And that's kind of what we can do whenever we have guests on this show is, you know, you can get further into it and actually tell a story or let the person, let the audience know who the guest is versus Mm -hmm. a quick formed interview. And, you know, just kind of, he was the pioneer of that, you know, keeping stuff slow, almost movie, like with film
0: and a musical score and a musical score. Yeah. They would bring in the Philadelphia Philharmonic to play it. Yep. Sam Spence, writing all Sam of the music, Spence, right, yeah. and um, uh, also want to say uh, uh, a word of condolence to the NFL Films family. I mean, as you know, you two guys, Chris and Chris, know working with uh, the folks in Mount Laurel as closely as we do here at NFL Media. Yep. There's so many people who've been there their entire lives. You know, they're they they they, they their first job was NFL Films, and they're they're the they're still there. Yep years, decades later. I mean, Sable was more than just a boss to so many people there in Mount Laurel, New Jersey. They must be devastated that they'll be walking the halls and they won't see Steve coming around the corner or laughing or telling stories or um, giving his two cents or being the leader that he he was. So our condolences to them. Uh, Our regular podcast comes out Let's uh, put it out tomorrow, right? Because yeah. I'm, I'm going to be in Charlotte this week, um, week three. Again, the first week of the NFL since 1961. That does not have Steve Sable chronicling it in some way, shape, or form. Uh, Giants at Panthers to kick off week three. Our guests on the podcast coming out, Dennis Miller. We'll go through uh, week number two that was, as we said at the outset, as dramatic and as controversial as ever. Also, Rob Burnett, the uh, executive producer of The Late Show with David Letterman. He's got a digital movie coming out online. He tells some great stories about Letterman with Art Donovan and uh, Letterman uh, and football players who have come on that show. And it's a fun conversation. And, of course, we catch you up on everything uh, from week two and uh, week three, a big week in the NFL. So uh, thank you again for listening to this show. And uh, Steve Sable, may, may you rest in peace.
8: listening.